I want to speak on something that's obviously quite important to us as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, and that's worship. Um, worship, worship's really important to us at Jubilee, as you can probably tell by the name. Um, because, as you know, Jubilee means celebration, doesn't it? And um, it was quite interesting seeing how many hits we got during the Queen's Golden Jubilee. You know, people looking for Jubilee Solihull, looking for celebrations looking for, uh, to do with the Queen's Jubilee, and um, they kept getting directed to our website. So that was a good bit of marketing. So, no Republican comments there from me, but... <laughs> Jubilee means celebration, it means party. So worship's really important to us, it's part of our vision, it's part of who we are, and we recently had a prophetic word from a guy named Julian Adams that we would see breakthrough um, through outrageous worship, outrageous worship. And I want to talk from a, a passage today in Exodus, Exodus 8 verse 1, and um, which Sarah may be able to find because she's a, a genius and I gave her a PowerPoint presentation that was broken. But um, fortunately, she's amazing, so I think she can find it. But I'm going to speak from her. Yeah, she deserves. She deserves a round of applause, week in, week out, serving us. It's a lot of pressure as well. It's not no pressure, no pressure. Um, Yeah, Exodus eight, and Exodus eight verse one says this. It says, um, "Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him." This is what the Lord says, let my people go. That's that's the famous bit. This is what the Lord says, let my people go. But what often gets forgotten is the second part of that verse, so that they may worship me. This is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. So Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God the Father had a plan to save them, to bring them out of slavery. But salvation wasn't an end in itself. So Israel's salvation was a means to an end. Salvation was a doorway to their intrinsic purpose. And that intrinsic purpose, that intrinsic destiny, was worship. Salvation has a purpose. Freedom releases worship. And God's grace at work in us brings him glory, doesn't it? God's grace at work in us brings him glory. And that's the definition of worship. Giving glory to its rightful owner giving glory to its rightful owner. Salvation and glory belong to who? To our God, says Revelation 19. It's not just what we sing on a Sunday afternoon or morning soon. Um, it's a lifestyle. Giving glory to the person who, to its rightful owner, to God, is a lifestyle. Um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It's an act of worship. And that's why um, Jesus can say in Matthew 5, when people see your good deeds, who do they praise? Your Father in heaven. People see our good deeds, they see our worship in action, they see our life, and they praise our Father in heaven. Glory goes to its rightful owner. And Adam and Eve had this in the Garden of Eden. They glorified God whatever they did. Do you realise that? In that place, whatever they did in the Garden... They were glorifying God because they'd been created in God's image. Genesis 1 tells us they were living examples of his glory on earth. And whatever they did, just naturally, automatically, 
glorified God. Whether they were eating, whether they were drinking, whether they were walking with God in the cool of the evening, even if they were having sex, they were glorifying God. They were. Some of you think there wasn't sex in the Garden of Eden. But but the first command to Adam and Eve was, uh, fill the earth, multiply. So, just throw that one in for free. (laughs) Your shocked faces. But even when they were having sex, they were glorifying God. They were fulfilling the command in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your emotions, all of your feeling, with all of your soul, all of your thoughts, your internal conversations, your choices, and with all of your strength, all of your physical body. They did that automatically. Until sin, obviously, came along and fractured it all and broke it all. So we have Israel in this story, in Exodus, they're in slavery... God is going to bring them out. He's going to bring them out of slavery. He's going to bring them out from Pharaoh's power, a harsh master who hated them, who used and abused them for his own ends, who robbed them of their true identity, robbed them of their freedom, robbed them of their dignity, caused them to live in misery and despair. God's going to bring them out of that. and He's going to bring them out into a place of freedom, into a lifestyle of worship, a place where, yes, they could sacrifice, where they could sing and play tambourines, that's one of the first things that happens. So Tambourines get a bad press, but I say bring back the tambourines. It's very retro. Um, yes, they're going to do that. But also, if you look at what Israel did when they came out of slavery into the promised land, they had festivals, they ate and they drank and enjoyed themselves. They travelled, they had community, they worked, they gave financially, they were creative, they created art. All of these things, all of these things were acts of worship. They lived worship. Whatever they did, they did it to the glory of God, or they were supposed to. And that's the same for us. We've been saved out of slavery, haven't we? We've been saved out of slavery into a lifestyle of worship. We were under a harsh master, the devil, who used and abused us, who hated us. He Sin robbed us of our true identity. It made us do things we were ashamed of. We were chained by misery and despair, But God, who is rich in mercy, heard our pitiful cries, sent his son Jesus to make us alive again. Jesus died on the cross to purchase our freedom with his own blood. Not so that we could just be rescued from the futility of spiritual slavery, but so that we could be brought in to that heavenly family, be brought into the the heavenly family of God the Father, and to live lives of intrinsic worship. So salvation isn't an end in itself. We have been saved to worship, like Adam and Eve, to live lives that automatically give God glory, to its, the glory to its rightful owner. Our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, our choices, our physical bodies, singing, working, travelling, creating, having sex, whatever we do, we're created to give glory to God. We are living sacrifices, Paul, tell, Paul tells us in Romans 12. Offer yourself, and we offer ourselves as living sacrifices because, he says, this is true and proper worship. Living sacrifices, this is true and proper worship. Have I made that point? Do you agree with me? That that's your calling. That's your, uh, that's your intrinsic nature to glorify God. So, Coming back to the Exodus story. Israel, let my people go so that they may worship me. 
Now, you know the story, I'm sure. You're familiar with the Exodus story. You know that, you know, Pharaoh would, you know, make a promise to let them go. He would break it. Then there would be a plague. And um, then he, he would change his mind. He would say he would let them go. And then, and then he would change his mind again and say he wouldn't. And there would be another plague. You know, you know the story. And there were, there were ten plagues, I think, um, before he finally let the people leave the land. But I want us to look at uh, three points to this, three parts of this story. Um, where Pharaoh tries to cut a deal with God. He offers Moses um, a compromise on three occasions that I want us to look at. That try to put a limit, put a boundary around the freedom that um, God's people will have to worship. Three compromises that um, Moses they, that, that's, that Moses is offered in order to limit Israel's ability to live lives of worship, and the, dev, the, the devil's tactics haven't changed, have they? Um, you know, you look at Matthew four. The devil even has the bare, uh, bare cheek face to offer Jesus a, a compromise, doesn't he? When he says, "If you will bow to me, I'll give you all of this. You don't need to go through the pain and trauma of the cross." If you bow to me, you can have these kingdoms. You can have this world, these pitiful people that you love so much. You can have them. All you need to do is bow, for, bow to me. No pain. You know, it's easy. That that's the devil. The devil's um, tactics to, 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 to make us compromise on what God's calling us to haven't changed. And we are also in danger, if we're not careful, of compromising. Compromising in uh, our lives of worship. Putting an illegitimate... Um, limit around our lives, which obviously we want to avoid. And um, I don't know if you remember the the Truman the Truman Show. Who remembers that film, 1998? Yeah, we had this guy who um, he didn't know it, but he was the star of his own reality TV show. Oh, so there he is. That's at the end when he finally realized finds his way out of this world. So he's the he's the star of this reality TV show, and he's the only person that doesn't know it. He doesn't know that his wife, his friends, everyone around him are actors. And the world that he lives in looks normal, but it's actually a dome that looks like a real, the real world, but it's actually a, a, a false limit. There's a dome, there's a, there's a wall there separating him from the rest of the world, and, and at first he's happy to live within that dome, to live within those confines, until he realises that he's being restricted and he decides he wants to escape out into the real world. And this is just at the end, when he gets to the edge of the dome and he finds the stairs and the exit door um, out into the real world. And we can be like that. We can be happy to live within a, within a dome, within this um, kind of within these limits. And but obviously God doesn't want that, that for us. Jesus has called us to lives. Um, has, to, has come to give us life, but not just life, life in all its fullness. There's a life without limits in, in God, in the Spirit. So let's look at these three compromises then that Pharaoh offers Moses. So you've got Pharaoh, the Egyptians have just suffered a plague of kind of lice and flies. Yeah, so they've been scratching, they've been covered in flies. And there was a recent recording on the radio um, of a World War One veteran. And he said the worst part of the trenches wasn't the mud, wasn't the imminent danger, it was the flies. He said the place was, you, everything was just covered in flies. And as soon as you opened anything to eat, it would just got covered in flies and they'd be around your mouth. And, and that's what, so 
uh, that's the that's the experience that the Egyptians just had. They've been covered in flies. Anything they've tried to eat has just been covered in flies. They're sick of it. So Pharaoh thinks, oh, I've had enough. I'm going to let the Israelites go. I'm going to let them go. And in uh, Exodus 8, verse 25, it says, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. So he's saying, okay, I'm going to let you worship, but I'm still going to give you a boundary. It sounds fair, doesn't it? He's going to let them worship. Okay, it's in the land, it's within a certain limit, but it sounds like a fair deal, but that Moses doesn't think so. If we look at Moses' answer, Moses says, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord, our God, would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we were to offer... Um, offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? In other words, if we compromise and stay here, within the limits of Egyptian culture, we won't be able to enjoy real freedom. We'll not be able to live the kind of lives that that give all the glory to its rightful owner. And we live in a society, don't we, that's in many ways very tolerant. We're very lucky, really, that we can come to church and worship as we as we want, without fear of um, anyone coming in and dragging us away, or so we do. We live in a very tolerant um, society, but sometimes, though, obedience does take us outside of Egypt's boundaries within our culture. Takes us outside the boundaries of our own culture, and maybe the things we do aren't detestable to people around us, but they are often seen as inappropriate, aren't they? Maybe praying for people at work. You know, I don't know if I've worked in a thing where actually talking about your faith, offering to pray for people, it seems really inappropriate. Do it anyway, but. Or unacceptable, you know, oh, we don't talk about politics and religion. Talking about your perfect, your personal beliefs is not, not really acceptable. Especially if you start talking about sin. Or maybe it's just embarrassing. You know, getting excited at church. Maybe that, you know, that's a bit embarrassing. You know, people coming to church, raising their hands, clapping, jumping up and down. That's a bit embarrassing. Some people's dancing is, are, is a bit more embarrassing than others. But, you know, I'm not looking up at anyone at the moment. Yeah, so sometimes it's just, maybe not detestable, but embarrassing. And maybe we're tempted to compromise, to keep to ourselves, not to be passionate, not to express ourselves. And Sunday worship actually is a good example you know, lifting our hands, shouting can sometimes be a bit can be a bit a uh, bit shocking. Clapping we're kind of used to now, but kneeling down, even flags and dancing—all of these things are good um, biblical expressions of worship. All of those things are in the Bible. All of those things are appropriate expressions of worship, appropriate in the church. All that's all part of loving the Lord our God with all of our strength, with our bodies. And I just really honour you, Darren, for you when you came down the front and danced down the front here and, um, you know, leading us in that. So I really honour you for that. And uh, let's, let's have more of that. That's what I say. So, yeah, so culture wants to dictate to us, like sports. Okay, if you go to a football match or a rugby match, you can scream as much as you want. You can jump up and down. I mean, I've said this before, I even jumped, jumped up and down and celebrated when Aston Villa scored because we took the boys to see Aston Villa. And I was so excited, I jumped up and down um, for Aston Villa, and I'm not a Villa supporter. But, you know, if you do it there, that's great. That's fine. That's appropriate. In church, jumping up and down, getting excited about God. We want to we redeem our culture, don't we? 
So applause, for example, is a good example. Um, you know, we, we clap people because in our culture, applause is a way of showing honour to someone. It's a sh- way of showing appreciation. So we love to applaud people. We love to applaud God. Sometimes it seems a bit weird when we say, let's, let's applaud God. And we're, who, who we? But actually, it's a way of showing honour and appreciation in our culture. And it's good to redeem that. But we're not going to be dictated to. We're not going to be dictated to. We're going to worship God and love him with all of our physical strength. Just like David, when he danced before the Lord with all his might. And um, the ark was being brought back. The presence of God was returning to Israel. And he was so excited, he danced and danced in front of the ark. And I imagine him more like a, a kind of uncle at a party, really. Trying to relive his youth at the disco. Um, dancing around. Um, dancing around. But everyone's partying. He's getting hot and sweaty, so he takes his top off. He's dancing, he's dancing. He's really happy until he gets home and his wife says, um, basically mocks him. Mocks him because she's embarrassed and says, is it right that... Oh, you can't quite see it. That, I don't know who that is, by the way. I just found him. I found him on Google, so... <laughs> so, yeah. He's, yeah, he may have turned up here today, but... Um, yeah, says so, uh, uncle. I, that's me now. So I've, I still think I still think I'm the young, trendy guy dancing, but I'm really the old uncle now. So I, I can I can relate to him. But yeah, so David gets home. He's been dancing. Okay, he took his top off because he was so hot, and his wife mocks him because she's embarrassed, saying, "What are you gonna are you gonna um, embarrass yourself in front of the slave girls?" She was disgusted by him, by his worship. But his reply is really interesting. He doesn't say, actually, well, I don't care what people think. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He's saying, do you know what? I'm embarrassed too. I'm embarrassed too. I'm humiliated in my own eyes, but I will celebrate before the Lord. And I think sometimes we have this notion that actually there are the extroverts and the introverts, and the extroverts will, can, you know, but the truth is that, oh, you know, I, I'll jump around, I'll raise my hands, but I'm embarrassed sometimes as well, and I think, oh, do, am I going to do this? But there's something in me that says, I will worship the Lord with all of my strength, with my physical body. I will jump up and down. And I want to encourage us, you know, we are a Jubilee church, we are a worshipping church, but I just want to encourage us, because I want all of us to enjoy the freedom um, of, of letting what, what's inside come out. Maybe you have a tendency to mock. Maybe you're embarrassed, or maybe you're jealous of people who can, can express themselves. Or maybe, um, maybe you don't, maybe, maybe, I can't, maybe I don't understand what I've written. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll go to, and I'll go to the next sentence. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the one, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you're a tendency to mock like Michael because you're embarrassed or maybe jealous of their freedom. Or maybe you're, you're a bit embarrassed to do it and I just want to encourage you to step out and choose one of those things, dancing, clapping, whatever it is for you and be humiliated in your own eyes and say, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will express the love and gratitude and worship in my heart and I will love him with all of my physical strength. Basically, I just want to encourage us, church, let's not let Pharaoh set boundaries for us in worship. Okay? Let's not let Pharaoh set boundaries for us in our worship. Okay. Second. 
second compromise that Pharaoh tries to impose. Um, and this, and that's a limit on who can worship. So they've had hail now. They've had a plague of hail. It's destroyed all the crops. Um, and, and Moses is saying, look, if you don't let my people go, God says, if you don't let my people go, there's going to be locusts. And Pharaoh doesn't like the sound of that. So he says, all right, I'll cut a deal with God. And he calls Moses back. And in Exodus 10 verse 8, it says, Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he says, Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. And Moses answered, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Then Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go, along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So he wants to know who's going. Who's going, Moses? And Moses says, everyone, of course. We're not leaving anyone behind. They're like the US Rangers. They never leave anyone behind. And um, we're going to worship as a community. Worship is a community event. Everyone is invited. And actually, everyone is needed. That's what Paul tells us, isn't it? Paul's language is, we're a body. We can't say to one another, we don't need you. We all need each other for this life of worship. And um, Pharaoh's reaction is really interesting, isn't it? He says, you are bent on evil. There's a religious spirit there, a religious spirit that wants to control them. And it, and it reacts unjustly and accuses them, you're bent on evil. And maybe you've experienced that in the life, in the life of the church. Maybe you've stepped out at some point. You've stepped out in your life of worship and someone's got the wrong end of the stick or someone's reacted badly and they've uh, misunderstood your motives and they thought you're bent on evil and, they've, and they've, they've kind of pushed you back down, they've slapped you down. That's not what God wants. Moses wants everyone, the young and the old, the, the sons and the daughters, everyone is invited, everyone is needed. So what Pharaoh is offering is the men can go, basically the men of fighting age. He's, he's essentially saying, I want to hold on to the women. I want to ho- hold on to the elderly. I want to keep the children hostage. And by keeping those people enslaved, keeping those people hostage, he keeps the whole community hostage because the Israelites, will, the men will have to come back for their families. And this is true for us in the church. If one part of the church is restricted, if one part of the church is held hostage, if there's any, anyone among us who can't walk into that freedom, experience the freedom, the true freedom of a life of worship, then we're all held hostage. We're all restricted as a community. If one part of the body isn't free, uh, then none of us are free. The whole body is hindered. And Moses mentions two groups that I want us to look at. He mentions the young and the old, firstly. The young. And I just want to say I'm really proud of us. I'm proud to be part of Jubilee. I'm proud of Jubilee as an elder here. That we have a culture that loves kids, that honours kids, that wants kids to contribute in worship, that humbly receives from kids, you know, when they pray for us and will listen to them. And, you know, I'm not going to say too much more than that because actually we've had three amazing preaches on that. And from Tom and Becky Webb and from Rob, you know, three preaches about kids 
uh, in the prophetic and in the in the life of the church and in worship. So I just I just encourage you if you haven't heard those to go back and listen to those uh, on the lo- online. And if you can't get them online, talk to one of us and we'll download it onto a CD or something for you. you may even be able to put it on a cassette tape. Who knows? <laughs> but um, but I'm proud of us. We love kids and we honour kids and and. Um, you know, there was a, there was a time a, a while back, a few years back, where I was aware of someone who came to visit just once off, um, friend of a friend, and they, they they basically mocked us, mocked us for having a, a child bring a tongue, a spiritual language in worship. And the thing is, this person was they didn't believe in the spiritual gifts anyway, um, but they mocked they mocked us for having a, a child uh, bring a bring a tongue, bring a spiritual language. And do you know, but do you know what? I was, just, I'm, I was just so proud of, of that child. I'm, I'm so proud when the kids come up and share. So proud when the kids come up and share. I'm proud of our kids. I'm proud of our parents that that um, that bring up the kids in that way. That that help to release the kids. I'm I'm proud of us as a community that allows that to happen and accepts that and and, and nurtures that. So let you know. Let I said let them mock. We don't really care. Do you know what I mean? We don't really care. We love the kids. So yeah, listen to those talks. And I don't really need to say much more because it's been said already. But then you have the old. And this is something I do want to talk about, actually. The old. The young and the old. Because I'm conscious that we live in a culture where old age is not respected. It's not respected. And I can say that from experience. Not because I'm old, but... You know, the other day, I'll I'll give you my confession, I overtook a slow old lady driver... Sorry, I can't look at Margaret Green at this point. A slow, all the way from Streetsbrook, all the way I was behind her too, past Asda in Shirley, all the way down up, you know, going towards the Maypole. And then I had my, I had my opportunity to overtake her. Ooh, I overtook her. And then, you know, 200, 300 meters later, it was a traffic jam. She was behind me and I just felt ashamed. But I felt convicted. I felt the Lord remind me of that verse in Leviticus where it says, stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I, I remembered the first part. When I looked it up, I hadn't realized the second part. And revere your God. Respecting the elderly is, 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 is um, connected to revering God. So therefore, disrespecting the elderly is disrespecting God, not revering God. And, but that's our culture. That's our culture. That's our, our cultural attitudes towards older people. Things are designed to become obsolete fast, aren't they? You know, I don't know if you've got an iPhone 6. I'm waiting for my contract to to renew. But actually, people want iPhone 7, 8, 9. You know, it, it, we want the next thing as soon as possible. And there's this evolutionary mentality. I don't know if you realize that. But we live in a, uh, a society with an evolutionary mentality that says the next generation is better than the last. The next generation is an improvement on the last. And that seeps into us. That seeps into us. It seeps into the way we um, treat the, the generation before us and the generations that have gone before. But the Bible says, the Bible says, one generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And I don't just believe that's, you know, they've written something down that the next generation can read and learn about. No, I believe that's a, that's a, um, that's a dynamic relationship. An interdependence where old and young are, are, are encouraging one another. 
are encouraging one another in God, that there's an exchange between the generations, that that cultural divide that we see in our society doesn't exist here. But in church, as we worship together, encourage one another and demonstrate God's manifold wisdom together, that one generation, the old and the young, um, will, um, will commend uh, God's works to each other. And that's what I want to see in Jubilee. Do you want to see that in Jubilee? Do you want to see Jubilee a place where one generation commends the works to another? There's that exchange, that relationship between the the, uh, generations. I heard someone on the radio say, I listen to a lot of radio, but I heard someone on the radio say recently that, that that a teenager in this country has got more in common culturally with a teenager in China than they do with an older person in this country. Do you know that? Because of the global... Uh, globalization and the internet. A teenager in this country has got more in common culturally with a teenager in China than they do with an old, older person in this country. There's a huge gap in our society between the generations. And actually, we can be countercultural and demonstrate God's wisdom. Demonstrate that diversity of heaven in this place uh, today. Are you up for that? Yes. Me too. And then we get to sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. And I have to say, as I read this, Moses, and actually let me read it again. Moses says, we will go, um, so Moses says, we'll go with our young and our old and our sons and our daughters. And um, uh, Pharaoh's answer is, in verse 11, no, have only the men go and worship the Lord. I was really struck by that that phrase, only the men. Because I feel like it's been a bit of a mantra in church, or in some of our churches, uh, for many, many years. I kind of grew up with that, that mantra, really, that there were certain parts of the church, certain things that it was only for men, really. And women were sidelined, women were kept out. Women were restricted by, I believe, um, a, a, a false boundary. And women have been unable to fulfill their God-given call in many areas of the church. And as I read that, only the men, it just kind of, it almost stuck in my throat. And I feel like I also have almost allowed Pharaoh to keep what is, I suppose, literally half of the half of our church hostage at times. And then I was reading Romans, and you see in Romans 16, you know, where Paul is sending his final greetings to his co-workers, his fellow workers in the Lord, his fellow apostles, that nine out of 25 of them were women. I went through carefully and I checked if it was, you know, masculine, feminine, and and nine out of 25 of them are women, because some of the men have women names that sound like girls' names in in those days. But nine out of 25, and I think, Simon, that's 36%, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Just check with the maths teacher. Check with the maths. But yeah, but you know, actually, just looking at Paul's team, at the people that Paul co-laboured with in the church, those in Romans, actually, and then you know, I look at our history and to see actually we're completely out of sync, really, with the New Testament and the way that that you know Jesus was radical, even talking to women and having women as, you know, listening to his teaching and part of his team and uh, in the New Testament as well, um, the way that, 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 um, that the church treated and uh, released women was 
was revolutionary for their times. And actually, it seems pretty revolutionary for our times as well, um, which is, um, which is a shame. But, yeah, so I, so I just want to, I just want to challenge us really. And as I was thinking about this, I felt stirred really that there are, there, there are no jobs in the church that men do that women can't do. There are no jobs in the church that men do that women can't do as well. And you say, well, what about male eldership? And I say, well, we do believe in male eldership. But eldership is a responsibility. It's not a job. And there's no hierarchy in the church. There's no hierarchy. If you look at the Trinity, there's no hierarchy in the Trinity. There's submission and there's authority, but there's not a hierarchy. There's complete equality. So we do believe in male eldership. We do believe in, in, in eldership as a responsibility with authority. But in terms of the jobs that elders do, there's nothing that men do that women can't do just as well. Controversial. But um, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, another time. But I just feel like there's a, a calibration going on in the church at the moment, in the wider church, in terms of releasing women into ministry. So there are no hostages here. Amen? No hostages here. Young, old, sons, daughters, no hostages here. We're going to go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, or we're not going to go at all, was Moses' message. Or we're not going to go at all. And the third compromise, the last one. We see that Pharaoh tries to limit their resources. They've had the plague of darkness, so again, Pharaoh's had enough, he thinks, okay, I'm going to let them go. But when they get there, Exodus 10:24 tells us, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, okay, go worship the... I did the okay. I don't think he said that. Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. In other words, you can worship God how you like, but your money belongs to me. Your money belongs to me. You cannot be truly free if Pharaoh has got hold of your bank account. Financial worship is a sign of salvation, isn't it? You know, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, he's remembered for climbing a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just go past him, he comes to the tree, says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, come down, I'm coming for dinner at your house. And he didn't, and Jesus goes to his house, and this guy was a, a tax collector, and he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a fraudulent one. He'd stolen money from lots of people and made himself rich. And what does he say? He says, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give back everything that I've stolen uh, with interest. I'm going to give it back uh, with interest. I want to be financially generous. I want to worship you, Jesus, with my money. And Jesus says, surely salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. Salvation, the sign of salvation... It's financial worship as well. So Moses' response, verse 26 to Pharaoh is, our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God. Until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. In other words, we can't leave it behind. We need it to worship God. Not all of it. Some of it, some of them we need to worship, but we don't know which ones. So we've got to take it all because we're going to use some of it, not all of it, but we don't know which ones, so we better take it all. All of it, in other words, is available. 
All of it is available for whatever God asks of us. Whatever he asks us to give, all of it is available for him, for use in worship. When they got out of the out of slavery into the promised land, some of those sacrifices were going to be burnt up. They were, they were going to be burnt up and they were going to be gone. They were just going to be sacrificed, burnt up, e.g. they were just given, they were, they, they were given away and gone, gone forever. But some of them were going to be sacrificed and eaten. Some of them were going to be enjoyed. Some, so some of the worship that the, the, that the people of God were going to do involved having fun, having a party, enjoying themselves, eating and drinking. 1 Timothy 4 tells us that everything God has created is good. All of it is good. And if you can receive something with thanksgiving, then you can enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy your wealth. Enjoy what God's blessed you with. Enjoy what God's given you. But bring it with you. Hold on to it lightly because you don't know how much of it you will need to worship God. You don't know what of, which of it God's going to ask for to, to use to glorify Jesus. Does that make sense? Whatever you have, enjoy it. Some of it's going to be used for worship. Some of it you can enjoy and worship God by enjoying it. But you don't know which one. But the key is to bring it with you and say, yeah, it's all available. Whatever you want, tell me it's yours. You know, you don't have to give anything. You know that you don't have to give anything. Jesus tells Peter... You know, when Peter says um, that Peter feels embarrassed that Jesus hasn't paid the temple tax. And he says, oh, yes, of course Jesus is going to pay it. And then he goes back to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, who, ha- who, who do kings collect taxes from? From their own children or from other peoples? And Peter says, well, from other peoples, of course. And Jesus says, that's right. The children are exempt. The children are exempt. The children are exempt from the temple tax. We're exempt. We don't have to give anything. We're completely exempt. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they sell a field and then they hide some of the money and they give some of the money to the church, to the apostles, but it's only half the money and they want that they want everyone to think that they've given everything. You know that story. And the result is they fall down dead. And they're judged and they die, which is scary. But the point of that story isn't that they should have given it all. The point is this. Peter tells them, wasn't all of it yours? He says to Ananias, wasn't all of, all of it yours before you sold it? And wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, you can do what you like with the money. You didn't have to give anything. You didn't have to give anything. But what you don't need to do is pretend or impress us or lie. You know, it was all yours. It's yours to do with what you like. God loves a cheerful giver, doesn't he? The Bible tells us. He loves... a. a more literally, someone who laughs as they give because it's an act of worship. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts. He wants us to worship with our finances, with our wealth, as an act of worship, as an act of joy. One more point about Israel's wealth, though, important. They took flocks and herds with them and they had a reproductive nature, didn't they? There's a reproductive nature to the wealth of Israel. It's like my toilet paper. It is. It comes from sustainable sources. You understand? So actually, there's a reproduct, there's a reproductive nature in, in the, in the, in the resources of God's people. So when they gave things, they gave sacrificial giving to say, 
you know, as a kind of act of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've blessed me with. I'm going to give these animals to you as a sacrifice. They were obviously showing gratitude. They were showing thankfulness. But they were also showing faith, saying, I'm trusting you that actually where these came from, there's more. Where these have come from, there's more. That you are the God that gives. That, that actually my, my wealth is going to reproduce and grow. And, and, that, and that was an act of faith. My, that's my personal story. So, as many of you know that, you know, um, I, I was contracting, working for myself, and towards the end of the year, contract that um, I was expecting, some work I was expecting, fell through in the run-up to Christmas. And, um, you know, applying for jobs, didn't, didn't actually, didn't find anything. And, and I got to the point of, 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 of praying to God and saying, look, What's going on? Can't you give me some work? You know, I, I, I you know, I, can you, can't, you know, what, you know, all I've done for you, Lord, I had that conversation with God. It's a dangerous one, no? Everything I've done for you, Lord, I've, you know, I, I left my job to work with the homeless voluntarily and, you know, all the hours I put in at the church, everything I've done for you, and you can't even give me one piddly job. And as I said it, I was reminded of the older brother. You know, in the, in the story of the, of the two sons, the prodigal son, the older brother who says, all I wanted was a goat to, to celebrate with my friends. And you didn't even give that to me. You're stingy, basically, saying to the father. And what does the father say? Everything I have is yours. You're always with me and everything I have is yours. And that just floored me as God said to me, actually, do you know what? Everything I have is yours. You don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. That's why Jesus can tell us, don't worry. It's a command not to worry. Because everything that he has actually belongs to me as well. And actually, I want to, I just want to, again, just honour Jubilee and, and just thank Jubilee, commend Jubilee, because actually within that period, although we never got down to the wire financially, we were really blessed with several large gifts from people in the church, some anonymous, some not. And if I was to tell you that actually that, that those gifts totaled nearly £4,000 from different people, I mean, that's just astounding. And, you know, it's humiliating in a way as well, do you know what I mean? Because you feel, oh, you know, pride kicks in. Oh, I can't receive that, I can't accept that. Most of we didn't know who to give it back to, so we couldn't. But, <laughs> but actually, just knowing, you know, there's that sense of abundance. There's that sense of abundance in God's provision. That sense of abundance. That actually, wherever this has come from, there's more. There's a reproductive nature to it. And God will provide for us. So, let's not leave a hoof behind. Let's not leave a hoof behind. Let's take it with us. Let's not allow Pharaoh to keep hold of our bank accounts. Let's enjoy what God has blessed us with. But also... Let's let it all be up for grabs as as a um, an act of outrageous worship. So we're created to worship heart, soul, and strength, emotions, feelings, thoughts, decisions, our physical bodies, and this is true and proper worship that we're living sacrifices. And there's no boundaries on what we can do. There's no restrictions on on restrictions on who can worship. And there are no limits to our resources in God. Amen.